good to see you this morning. Are you glad to be here? This fall, we're focusing our attention as we study God's Word on Sunday mornings on learning just how special God's Word, the Bible, really is and how God uses it in our lives as believers, as disciples, as followers of Christ and to help us. We're doing that by studying Psalm 119. Peggy was uh, three weeks old when her father was killed in 1944 in Italy during World War II. She didn't know much about him, lives in Nevada today. Her mother never remarried and would often say that her husband or Peggy's father was the perfect man and she could never find the perfect man again. And Peggy said when she was little, she learned that her mother was distraught. And every time she would ask her about her dad, it, it just devastated her mom. And so she learned to not ask. And her mom really didn't tell her a whole lot. What she didn't know was that shortly before she was born and before he was shipped overseas, he wrote a three-page letter. He wrote one page to his wife and two pages to his soon-to-be-born daughter and mailed it. The problem was the, never, the letter uh, never arrived. It wasn't the post office fault. Don't, don't really know what happened, but uh, just a, f- a few years ago, in a box in an attic in a house in Missouri, was found that letter along with her dad's purple heart and, um, and bronze star. And yesterday... In a special ceremony at her home city in Nevada, those and other mementos from her father that she had never known, she had never met, were presented to her. It's a very emotional day, as you can imagine. In the letter that he wrote in 1944 that she saw for the first time yesterday, he wrote to his, to his darling daughter, is what he called her, he, he, he wrote that while she may not see him for a long time, that she would always be on his mind. He said, I love you so much. Your mother and daddy are going to give you everything we can. We will always give you all the love we have. In the letter, he urged his daughter to always treat your mother right. You have the sweetest mother on earth. And he closed that letter with the words, I love you with all my heart and soul forever and forever, your loving daddy. And so you see the photographs of this woman who's nearly 70 years old getting this love letter from her father whom she never met. God's Word is a love letter to us. And the difference is that you can know the author. You can know the Father. This morning, if you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it doesn't have to stay that way. It can change. You can know the one who has given you this beautiful letter of love and guidance and inspiration, and teaching, and correction in life. So I invite you to open with me to Psalm 119 in your Bible as we continue studying this beautiful chapter and learning how God uses this Word in our, in our lives. And I've said each week this month that Psalm 119 is a unique chapter in the Bible, the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, divided into 22 stanzas of eight verses each. 
Each stanza based on a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 22 letters, so 22 stanzas. 8 times 22, 176 verses. First stanza, verses 1 through 8, begin with the, each, each verse begins with a, a Hebrew word that starts with the letter Aleph or A, verses 9 through 16, which is the second stanza. Each, each verse begins with a, with a Hebrew word that begins with the Hebrew letter Beth or B and so on through the entire alphabet. And we've already looked in previous messages at how, how the man who wrote Psalm 119, the author that God inspired to write this beautiful chapter of the Scripture, was a man who said of himself that he was going to seek God with all his heart. That This was a man who, who was sold out to the Lord and he was going to do everything he could to seek an intimate relationship with the Father. And last week, we learned that he described the Scripture using several words and, and basically was teaching us that the Bible, that God's Word is a written record of what God says, of God's direction, of God's verdicts and decisions in life, of God's encouragement, and it's authoritative because it's the Word of God. Now, starting today and for the next few weeks, I want us to look at how this man responded to this this scripture to the, to the Word of God and what you and I can learn from that so that it can benefit us. What, what did he think about it and how did he, how did he respond to the Word of God and, and, and the way God used it in his life? And today we're going to look at two things that God did in his life, two, two attitudes that he brought to the scripture, two ways he responded to it that can help us. And the first is this, God's Word, the scripture brought to this man who, who sought God with all his heart, it brought to him incredible joy. It brought to him great satisfaction and great joy. In Psalm 119, look at verse 14. And by the way, this is your memory verse today, okay? So I'm going to give you a little heads up. Verse 14, he says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Notice that again. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. And testimonies, we, we said last week, is the Hebrew word, that, that refers to the written record of God's testimony. Like in court, you give testimony and a stenographer records it. The Scripture is the written record of God's testimony, of what God says about anything and everything. And so this man who's seeking God with all of his heart says, God, when it comes to your testimony, when it comes to your word, when it comes to the Scripture, I rejoice and it. it brings great joy to me as much as if I were all of a sudden to become a multimillionaire. Now I want you to think about that for a minute and don't, don't run past it too quickly. Because I think the average person today, including the average person who goes to church, if we're honest with ourselves, would say, man, if I knew that tomorrow I had $20 million, that would make me a whole lot more excited than having a copy of Scripture. Let's just be honest. But what we forget is that $20 million can make a difference in your life for good or bad. But once you're dead, it's done. The transformation that God makes in your life through His Scriptures, you respond to it, has eternal significance, has eternal consequence. And God is saying, whether you know it or not, what you have in your hand, every time you pick up a copy of His Word is more valuable than $20 million, more valuable than riches. That's what that verse is talking about. And yet we take this Word for granted. So I want you to stand. We're going to practice our memory verse today, verse 14. Now, you may have learned it in a different translation than I did. That's okay. But on the count of three, are you ready to recite it? Verse 14, on the count of three, are you ready? 
One, two, three. Pretty good. Give yourselves a hand. Pretty good. Let's do that again. That's a weak hand. Come on. It's okay to feel good. Give yourself another hand. That's, that's okay. That's all right. Let's do it again. One, two, three. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in great riches. One more time. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in great riches. Now, what was last week's memory verse? Verse 11. Yeah. Your, come on. One, come on. Your word I've hidden, I've treasured in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against God. And I'll tell you the, the memory verse for next week later in the message. If I forget, y'all just remind me, okay? All right, you can be seated. Thank you so much. Now, I want you to look real quickly at several verses that talk about how much joy this, this man, this believer, got out of the Word of God. How, how, how valuable, how he considered it a treasure, something of great value, worth more than a lot of money. You're, uh, we're going to look at just verses in Psalm 119. Look at verse 48, or 47 rather, 47. He said, I shall delight in your commandments. Another of the words for Scripture. Remember that it's God's commandments, just like a military officer. I'll rejoice. I, I delight in your commandments, which I what? What's the word? I what? I love. I love your Scripture. I love your word, God. I love to hear you speak. And then look at verse 48. He said, I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. There's, there it is again, I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Meditation in Scripture is intentional, focused reflection on what God says. Thinking about what God says and asking the Holy Spirit to apply it to your life. Listening to the voice of God as He speaks to your heart through Scripture so that your life can reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. So that you can hear God's guidance. And he said, I'm going to meditate on that. Now, he, he said, I love God's Word. Put the two together. I love God's Word. I meditate on God's Word. I love God's Word. I reflect on God's Word. I love God's Word. I think about God's Word. I love God's Word. I focus on God's Word. I meditate on God's Word. All right, now, guys, listen to me. You're a good husband. That means there are moments in your life when you look across the room at your wife because you love her with all your heart. You reflect on your blessings. And if you don't do that, you need to learn how to do that. If you love your wife the right way, it means you're going to think about her. And because of that, you're going to plan some things to bless her. You're going to plan some ways to bless your marriage, to strengthen your marriage. Because you focus on her. You think about her. And it impacts what you do. Ladies, the same thing is true of you toward your husband. So many marriages would be a lot better if people would just start thinking about the other one and how to bless the other one instead of always being selfish. Always waiting for the other one to take the initiative. But that's another sermon for another day. God's Word. You love it. Reflect on it. Think about it. Meditate over it. Appreciate it. Treasure it. Value it. And allow God through the Holy Spirit to apply it to your life, to your heart, to your attitude, to your values, to your priorities. That's what you do when you love something or someone. You treasure it. Look at verse 92 of Psalm 119. Going down in that same chapter to verse 92. He said, if your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. 
He's saying, God, if your law had not been my delight, my joy, my love, if it had not brought me great joy, when I was going through all of this affliction, I would have perished. I was talking with a, a lady in our church earlier this week who recently lost a loved one. And she was describing for me how reading God's Word had helped her, how God had used it to help her get through the days. And then she went through a, a period where she stopped reading Scripture. It just happened. And she started reading a lot of other stuff, a lot of novels and different things. And she, nothing wrong with that, but, but in so doing, she, she stopped reading Scripture. And she said all of a sudden she started finding herself going backwards, getting worse. And now she's back to reading Scripture. And God's using that to lift her up. And folks, the truth is, what you and I focus on shapes us. And when you're going through trials, you're going through affliction, you're going through challenges, you're going through difficult times, you're facing big decisions, whatever it is, you're under pressure, whatever it is, if you can focus on the Word of God, on the truth of God, God has a way of saying something to you that will guide you, encourage you, correct you, help you, direct you. But when you ignore His Word, don't pay attention to it, don't think about it, don't meditate on it, don't read it, all of a sudden you're left to your own means. And he said, God, because of your word and its joy in my life brought delight to me, it got me through that difficult time. When, 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 listen, get into the word of God. There's nothing better you can do to help yourself than to get into Scripture. Let God speak to you. You, you have a treasure God's placed in your lap to help you through whatever you're facing in life why would you lay that $20 million aside? Besides, this is worth a whole lot more than $20 million. But we lay it aside all the time, and we, we cheat ourselves when we do that. All right, another verse. Look at verse 103. Verse 103. He says, How, how sweet are your words to my taste, Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Anybody in here addicted to sweets? Come on. Huh? You addicted to anything? God says, get addicted to my word. Let it be like chocolate. Mm. If you don't like chocolate, you're messed up. <laughs> Let it be like chocolate. Get addicted to it. It's sweet. Tastes good. Tastes good. Look at verse 162. 162. He said, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil or great uh, booty like in a war. You know, in ancient times when one army would conquer another, the conquering army took, they looted whatever was there, they took for their own the spoils of war. Still happens. Orville Umdahl was an American Marine in World War II. And after the Japanese surrendered, the ship that he was on docked at and his, his uh, company was assigned uh, to cleanup duty, if you will, in Nagasaki after the bomb had dropped and radiation had supposedly cleared. And their task was in the perimeter to go through all the buildings and collect any item, anything they found that 
insurgents or anyone else could use against American soldiers. And one day they, they were clearing out, they were checking this, this warehouse, and they found this huge pile of samurai swords. When the Japanese surrendered, all the soldiers were forced to, uh, to turn over all of their weapons. And he said, you've never seen so many swords in your life. He saw one pile of swords nine feet tall, and, and there was one sword that caught his attention because it was in a, in a, a leather, what do you call it, a clapper, a leather, you know, the casing or whatever, and had inscriptions on it, and had drawing etchings of horses, and he liked horses, so he got that one. He actually got one of the better ones because it was, a, it was in perfect condition. It was a mint samurai sword. And um, they were given permission to take one souvenir back to the States. So he brought that back. And for over 60 years, that sat in his closet. He'd bring it out occasionally and would clean it, would oil it, took good care of it. And long and short, with some help of uh, the help of some people, they located the grandson of the Japanese soldier to whom that sword originally belonged. This is the day for military stories. Because yesterday, in a special ceremony up in Minneapolis-St. Paul, because that's the sister city to Nagasaki, and they have a big peace celebration every year. In a special ceremony yesterday, this former American Marine returned this samurai sword to the grandson of the Japanese military officer to whom it originally belonged. Spoils of war. But God says, you're not stealing this. This, this is treasure. You, you, th- you may think you stumbled upon it, but the truth is this, this is the spoils of war. This is, this is treasure that I'm giving you. This, this is mine, God says. This, this is my words. This is mine, but I'm, I'm giving it to you. And so the author of Psalm 119 understood just how special Scripture truly is. One last verse on this. Look at verse 172. 172 at the end of the chapter. He said, let my tongue sing of your word. You ever been so happy you just broke out in tune? Just broke out singing? Is Bob McDowell in the room? This is, is Bob, Bob in here? Bob, where you at, Bob? Bob loves to break out singing. Now, I don't understand what he sings half the time, but he just loves to break out. He's happy, and he just breaks out singing made-up tunes, right, Billy? He just hums and says stuff. That's because you love him, sweetie. She said she understands, but he does. He just loves to do it. He's happy, and he does it, and I get a kick out of it. And and this author says, that's what God's Word is to me. It just makes me happy, and I, and I sing it. And so he said, God's Word, this Scripture, is something that brings great joy to my life on many levels. So why would you... Ignore it, particularly if you're somebody who's, you know, you're always unhappy, you're always negative, you're always down in the dumps, you're always hopeless and helpless. 
Why would you ignore something that in the midst of the rain, because rain's going to fall on all of us, Jesus said. Why would you, why would you, why would you ignore something that, that in the midst of the falling rain that comes to life, why would you ignore something that could help you in those rainy days? All right, second thing. Brought him great joy. Number two, he had tremendous confidence in God's word. Great confidence in God's word. Go back and look at uh, verse 42, Psalm 119, verse, uh, verse uh, 42. Verse 42. He says, so I will have an answer for him who reproaches me or... Um, Attacks me in some way, for I trust in your word. The Hebrew word translated trust here means to attach yourself to someone or something. You, you have confidence in that something. You have confidence in that someone, and so you attach yourself to them. I remember back in the 90s when I was in, in Africa, in Kenya, on, our, on one of our mission trips, we had divided into groups, but one day somehow I ended up... Um, alone with one of the Maasai believers. We were, we were out in the bush, if you will, and it was just the two of us. He was my interpreter, and I can remember we were walking through this, this field, and you can't see anybody or anything, but, but he, he knew where he was going, and we were following this path to a boma or to a, just a, an enclosure where some of the Maasai lived, and he was taking me over there so I could share the gospel, preach the gospel with a handful of people who lived in that little, that little village, if you will. But I can remember walking through those fields because, you're, I mean, you got wildlife everywhere, and not all of it's friendly. And uh, I made certain he never got out of my sight because I had to totally trust in him to get me where I was going and get me back. I mean, I was in the middle of nowhere. God says, that's, that's what this book is. You attach yourself. You trust. You, you depend on. You commit to. This is your security. This is your guide. This is your weapon. This is your help. Trust it. Trust it. Trust it. Attach yourself to God's Word. Attach yourself to God's Word. And never, ever let go. Now, we, we've been talking about how special God's Word is. You, you remember last Sunday? We said that the Scripture was written by more than 40 authors, separated by 1,500 years. Remember that? And yet it has a, a unified theme, a, a unified message. When you think about how miraculous that is, is that God used at least 40 people who lived in a time span that covered seven, seven times the length of our nation's history. Take the entire history of America and multiply it by seven, and that's the time period in which God used about 40 different people to write this book. Think about that on three different continents in three different languages, and yet it's a unified message. If that doesn't tell you this is the Word of God, I don't know whatever will. Not one man wrote it. God wrote it. It's miraculous. Let me share with you. I'm going to try to give you a little insight each week. Deb, you have a confidence in God's Word. And, and, and this week I want to talk for just a moment about how, how God gave us Scripture, inspiration, what Scripture says about it. And in your notes... 
uh, the words to Second Peter chapter one verses sixteen to uh, twenty twenty one. You see that in your outline at the bottom of the front page. You got that? This is, this is what the Bible says about inspiration. God breathed. How God gave us Scripture. Peter is writing. Remember, Peter's one of the twelve apostles. And he said, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, he's talking now about the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, Peter, James, and John were with him, and all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appeared with him from heaven, and Jesus was transformed, so to speak, transfigured, and the glory of heaven was on him. They were there on the mountaintop, those three, and no one else saw that. He said, we, we, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God from heaven spoke and said that about Jesus. He said, we ourselves heard this utterance. We heard it made from heaven. When we were with him on the holy mountain, on the Mount of Transfiguration, verse 19, And so we have the prophetic word made more sure. What's he saying? He said, we've always believed the prophecies of the Old Testament. We've always had it. We always knew it was God's word. We always believed it. But man, when Peter, James, and John and I were on the holy mountain with Jesus and we saw him transfigured, and all of a sudden Moses and Elijah, who'd been dead, those centuries appeared with him living, not dead. And God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am pleased. All of a sudden, all the Old Testament prophecies that we had always made we had always believed, he said, all of a sudden, they were made even more certain. And we'd had any doubt before, we didn't after that. Peter said, we were eyewitnesses of all this. We heard it. Now look at verse 20. He said, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Our English Bibles don't do a good job always of translating that phrase because in the Greek of the New Testament, what it literally means is no portion of Scripture, none of Scripture originated with any individual's own interpretation or none of it originated with anyone's own idea. It wasn't like somebody sat down and said, I've got this deep philosophical thought and I'm going to put it on paper. He said none of it originated that way. That's literally what the Greek is saying. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever made, was ever given by an act of human will. It didn't originate, again, it did not originate with a human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Here's the interesting thing. The Greek word translated moved in my English Bible, moved by the Holy Spirit, is in the the passive voice, meaning it's something that's done to the person, not something they did. See, if I hit the ball... That's the active. If the ball hits me, (laughs) I'm passive. (laughs) They were moved. They were passive. They were moved by the Holy Spirit when they wrote Scripture. That same Greek word is used this way in the New Testament. It's used when the man who was paralyzed was carried by his four friends to the house where Jesus was so Jesus could heal him. Remember that story? The paralytic was carried. The word carried is this Greek word, carried or moved. It means to be moved by, to be carried by an outside force. It's also used in the book of Acts when Paul was on that ship in the Mediterranean Sea and the storm came up and the winds and the waves were blowing that ship and it was being carried or moved by the waves, being carried, moved by the winds, by the storm. That's what this word means. So he says, how did did God work in people's lives to give us Scripture? He carried them. He moved them. None of it originated with their own thoughts. 
they wrote what he moved them, carried them to write. So that's what Scripture tells us about the inspiration of Scripture. Now, in Psalm 119, look at verse 66. And by the way, that begins to give you some insight into why this man had such confidence in Scripture. That's what we talked about last week, what I just talked about then. But look at uh, verse 66. He said, Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. The word, the Hebrew word translated believe or trust or rely on means to be firm or to stand firm and therefore to endure. He said, God, you want to know how I feel about your word? I have such confidence in it that I, I know it's firm ground. And I'm going to stand there. And God, I'm not going to stand there for a little while. I'm going to keep standing there. I'm going to endure there. I'm going to continuously, forever stand there on your word. That's what believe means. And then the last verse I want you to look at, 114. Psalm 119, 114. And by the way, this is your memory verse for next week. Okay? Next week is our missions conference. So I won't be preaching. I'll be interviewing several missionaries. You'll want to be here for that. It's going to be exciting. You're going to be inspired. So you've got two weeks to memorize this verse. Your memory verse for the next two weeks is Psalm 119, verse 114. Did you write that down? Verse 114. Let's look at it. He says, you are my hiding place and my shield. I wait for your word. Do you have your Bible open? Look at it. Let's read it out loud together, okay? Read it with me. You ready? Are you ready? Read it with me out loud. You are my hiding place and my shield. I wait for your word. Now, your Bible may translate it rather than the hiding place as you are my refuge, you are my shelter. I think just about every translation uses the word shield. So you're my hiding place, my refuge, my shelter. And my shield, I will wait, or some Bibles translated hope, and I will wait on or hope in your word. That Hebrew word translated wait or hope is the idea of waiting with hope. That's why some translate it wait, some translate it hope. We don't really have an English word for that. Waiting with hope, waiting with a positive expectation. And so what he's saying is, God, I have confidence in your word. I, I've attached myself to it. I stand on it, and I'm going to keep standing on it. And God, no matter what I'm going through in life, I'm going to depend on your word with hope, with faith, with confidence, with expectation, because you and your word are my shelter. Why do we want shelter? To protect us. Right? Keep us comfortable. You're my shelter, and you are my refuge, my hiding place, and you're my shield. My shield. So let me ask you, what is your attitude towards Scripture? What is your attitude towards Scripture? What have you been doing with this incredible treasure that God's laid in your lap? The more you get into his word, the stronger you're going to become spiritually because God's going to use it to begin changing you. 
You know why some of us don't read Scripture consistently? We don't want to change. Some of us like wallowing around in self-pity. Some of us enjoy staying mad at people. Some of us are happy thinking we're always right and everybody else is always wrong. Some of us, and the Bible says that sin is fun for a season, some of us enjoy sinning. Some of us don't want to do the hard work of becoming someone different. The hard work of growing. The hard work of changing. The hard work of obeying. The hard work of becoming. Because the easiest thing in life to do is to stay where you are and like you are. Anybody can do that. You don't even have to make any effort to do that. You do nothing and you will stay exactly the way you are right now. Well, that's not totally true. If you do nothing, you'll probably get worse over time. Easiest thing to do is what most people do. Most people settle for nothing. They just settle. I'm going to stay the way I am. And they lose. And God says, I've got something so much more for you. And do you know, by the way, what was the first point? Brought great joy. Do you know that growing makes you happy? Once you allow God to work in your life and to grow you, happiness, joy, peace, better life. Do you want that? Or are you okay with the way everything is right now? Is God okay with the way everything is in your life? Is God okay with all the attitudes in your life? Is God okay with all the behaviors in your life? Is God okay with all the priorities of your life? Is God okay? The author of this psalm said, God, I'm going to seek you with all my heart. And I understand that your scripture is key to that. And I'm going to learn it. I'm going to treasure it in my heart. It's worth more to me than millions and millions of dollars. It brings great joy to me. And I'm attaching myself to it. Lord, I'm committed to it. I'm going to stand on it because I know you use it in my life for good. I want to encourage you this week to pick up God's Word every day and read it and let God do something in your heart and in your life.